I'm Greg Oliar. Four years ago, I stopped writing novels to report on the crimes of Donald Trump and his associates. In 2018, I wrote a best-selling book about it, Dirty Rubles. In 2019, I launched Prevail, a bi-weekly column about Trump and Putin, spies and mobsters, and so many traitors! Trump may be gone, but the damage he wrought will take years to fully understand. Join me and a revolving crew of contributors and guests as we try to make sense of it all. This is Prevail. Hey all, this is Glenn Kirshner, and you're listening to Muller She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., well, formerly known as A.G. You can call me Allison Gill now. We have a very big show today. Scott Stedman of Forensic News will be joining us for the Fantasy Indictment League to discuss his expose on the Russian that used two GOP operatives to donate money to the RNC and the Trump campaign. Those two operatives have been indicted. Uh, and that's going to be you know, part of the Fantasy Indictment League. And Scott and I are going to talk about it. And we're going to speculate about where the investigation originated. Like, where did this come from? Did it come from Mueller? Did it come from something later? Um, and also, we're going to talk about why it's still ongoing. Uh, because that is in the indictment. The the investigation is still ongoing. So we have a ton of headlines also to go over. I just want to take a quick moment to thank our patrons. You make this show possible. If you want to be a patron, you can do that at patreon.com slash wrote or go and search for Muller She Wrote on Supercast. We use both platforms. Uh, but again, we do have a lot of stuff to go over. So let's kick off the show with just the facts. All right. First up, a $100 million loan on Donald Trump's Fifth Avenue Tower has been placed on a debt watch list, according to data from a banking giant, Wells Fargo. Bloomberg first reported the story on Friday, last Friday, noting that the decision was a result of lower-than-average occupancy. <laughs> Wells Fargo, which is the master service of, servicer of the loan, said that occupancy has dipped to 78.9% from 85.9% at the end of 2020. And that's according to the outlet. That's according to Wells Fargo. The building's real estate income was $33.7 million in 2020 and $7.5 million in the first quarter. That's according to loan documents. The Trump Organization did not immediately respond to requests for comment. And Insider is reporting this. Kelsey Vlamis previously reported other, other financial challenges at Trump Tower, as we know. Recently, multiple tenants fell behind on rent. The Trump Organization uh, sued the maker of Ivanka Trump's shoe line, earlier this year for $1.5 million in unpaid rent, according to reports. Uh, some of Trump's properties elsewhere in the U.S. have also been facing scrutiny. The former president's property tax was slashed for his Chicago office tower because the building's commercial space was mostly vacant. Nobody wants to rent in a Trump tower. So if you take that 
you know, they've been put on this debt watch list. And you couple that with Rosemary Vrablick and her exit from FINRA that we reported last week uh, and the investigation of the Trump organization. You know, there's Weisselberg's lawyer, which we're going to get into in a little bit. Uh, had some interesting things to say on open court this week. And not to mention Eric Trump's lawyer, Mukasey, is quitting. Mukasey? Mucus? Hazy? I don't know. Mukasey. He's quitting the case. He's quitting. And he didn't say why. But there was a stipulation agreed to by both parties filed under seal by the court. The next day, Mukasey quit. So I don't know if Eric's cooperating or if he he just wants to fuck away. <laughs> I don't know. But Fooder Foss is still on the case. Um, I feel like Vance is gearing up to drop some more charges with all of this information. And I'm wondering, uh, as I as I wondered last week aloud, if his creditors are going to come collecting, he owes, what, $400 million, um, that that's supposed to be coming due 2024. But, you know, once your organization is indicted, creditors can knock on the door anytime and say, you know, we, we need the money now or we're, you know, foreclosing. So interesting. And um, let's see, in other news, in June, former Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin visited Israel to scout investments for his new company and then flew to Qatar for a conference. Remember, we talked about this. And at the time, Mnuchin had been out of office for five months. But because of an order given by President Trump, former President Trump, he was still entitled to protection by Secret Service. As agents followed Mnuchin across the Middle East for his own personal shit, the U.S. government paid up to $3,000 each for their plane tickets and $11,000 for rooms at Qatar's Lux St. Regis Doha, and that's according to government spending records. $11,000 for rooms. In all, the records show U.S. taxpayers spent more than $52,000 to guard him, the multimillionaire, on his business trip for personal shit. These payments were among $1.7 in additional government spending triggered by Trump's highly unusual order, which awarded six extra months of Secret Service protection for his crotch fruit, his adult children, and three top administration officials. I wonder what he's paying him back for, you know? This is according to the Washington Post, by the way. By law, the Secret Service is supposed to protect ex-presidents and their spouses for life and their children until they turn 16. In recent years, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and GW have also ordered agents to protect slightly older college-aged children for a short time, for a short time after leaving office. But Trump went far beyond that. He extended six months of extra protection to Ivanka, 39, Eric, 37, along with their spouses, and Don Jr., who's 43, that guy's younger than me, Tiffany, 27, as well as Mnuchin, Meadows, and former National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien. Why? Why them? Hmm. Does it have something to do with January 6th? <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes, the narrator said. Yes, it does. I'm speculating, of course. That's conjecture. Uh, Trump did not publish uh, any public order announcing the decision, or nor has he explained the rationale. And to estimate the cost of Trump's decision, the Post- Washington Post requested Secret Service records detailing the cost of protection for all seven people. For five of them, the Post received records covering the full six months, showing the cost of buying airplane tickets, renting cars, booking hotel rooms for agents. Um, but for the other two, Tiffany and, uh, and O'Brien, the Post examined records covering the first four months, which had previously been obtained by the watchdog group, Crew, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. Love you, Robert McGuire. Uh, the records began on January 20th. 
in the first hours that Trump left office. Among the first payments the Secret Service made was to Trump's own company. That day, the record showed Ivanka Trump and her family left Washington for Trump's golf club in Bedminster, where Ivanka Trump has a cottage on the grounds. Secret Service agents came along and Trump's club charged them for the rooms they used. The bill was $708 for one night. The rate appeared to be $141.66 per room, the same rate that the club charged the Secret Service while Trump was still president. In the next six months, the Secret Service spent about $347,000 on airfare, hotels, and rental cars while protecting Ivanka and her husband, Kush. Uh, the, the receipts showed the pair visiting resort destinations, Hawaii, Utah ski country, an upscale Wyoming ranch, and Kiowa Island. Agents also followed Kushner, now a private businessman, to the United Arab Emirates in May, paying $9,000 for hotel rooms. The Secret Service did not say what airfare costs were for that trip. The Daily Beast reported the hotel was the Ritz-Carlton in Abu Dhabi, citing a government spending document. Spokespeople for Ivanka and Kushner did not respond to requests for comment. Ivanka Trump's adult siblings, according to the records, were less expensive to protect. Tiffany Trump, a recently engaged law school graduate, appeared uh, to cost the least to the Secret Service. <laughs> the, the partial records showed that as of May, the Secret Service spent $56,000 on her. The costs protecting Eric and Donald were similar. $241,000 for Eric, $213,000 for Don Jr. The records showed that the brothers mainly shuttled between their homes in New York and South Florida with an occasional side trip. Junior went fishing in Montana, for example. Eric Trump, who has become the most visible leader of the Trump Organization, visited Trump hotels in Washington and Chicago. And when he did, just as when his sister visited Bedminster, the Trump Organization charged agents who stayed at the former president's properties. Jordan Leibowitz, a spokesperson for Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, says these charges, though small, represent a moral choice. If they wanted to reduce the burden of their extended protection on taxpayers, here was an easy chance to do it. Just don't bill for rooms at Trump properties. Quote, the patriotic thing would obviously be not charging the government to stay at your properties and not profiting or profiteering off the government. It is just so easy for them to write off the rooms. And we're not seeing that. That's Leibowitz. In that way, Trump's children were following an example set by their father. Since he left office, he has lived full-time at his own properties and charged the Secret Service for rooms every night. Total bill, now more than $72,000. It is almost certain to grow. And Trump, unlike his kids, has protection for life. In examining expenses among the three White House officials who received the extra six months, the Post could find little data on the cost of guarding O'Brien, Robert O'Brien, former National Security Advisor. Huh, National Security Advisor. Is that the keeper of the NICE system that is housing all of the transcripts of conversations with Putin and Zelensky and things you were impeached for? That, that Robert O'Brien? Is that who you granted all this free Secret Service protection to? The Secret Service spent $17,000 on rental cars alone while guarding him, but the rest of the expenses were not released. Meadows, former chief of staff, insurrectionist, accounted for $342,000 in protection costs. The Secret Service released few details beyond a list of car rentals that showed visits to Washington and Florida and, of course, his home state of North Carolina. The most expensive of the seven was Mnuchin. As an investment banker and Hollywood producer, 
who served all four years in Trump's term. In all, the Secret Service reported spending for almost $500,000 protecting Steve. The receipts showed the agents spent $114,000 over six months to rent rooms at the W in L.A. That's where he lives. They also followed Mnuchin on three trips to the Middle East. As we said, Mnuchin is reportedly seeking to raise money from sovereign wealth funds for a new venture he's calling Liberty Strategic Capital. One of those visits, um, Mnuchin told the Jerusalem Post he was hoping to capitalize on the Trump administration's efforts to build ties between Israel. I'm hoping to make money off of my friend who's paying for Secret Service protection for me, is what he said. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. Given our relationships here, the opportunity to bridge the economic transactions between different Abraham Accords members and states is also a tremendous opportunity for us, according to Mnuchin. The Secret Service spent $23,000 on hotel rooms in Israel related to his travel. He also went to Cabo San Lucas. And to guard Mnuchin during those trips, the records show the Secret Service paid $56,000 for hotel rooms and $2,000 to rent golf carts. I thought you could just buy a golf cart for $2,000, but apparently not. All right, in other news, on the day Donald Trump's second impeachment trial began in the Senate, the campaign for Matt Gates made by far its largest ever political contribution, $100,000 to a nonprofit created to defend Trump. I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb before I read the rest of this article and, and speculate that that was a payment for a pardon. <laughs> maybe set up by that Alfred guy who was just indicted for for snookering Don Gates out of $15 million for a pardon for Matt Gates. Anyway, let's, let's get into the article here. Uh, while that donation may not sound out of the ordinary, it stands out for a number of reasons. For one, the size of the donation is curious. It's double the amount of Gates's second largest donation ever, and it's $22,000 more than the campaign's combined gifts to close ally Governor, Governor Ron DeSantis. For another, the nonprofit appears to have done nothing for more than a year. And even odder is the Gates campaign's own explanation, which experts say raises questions of legality. The group Right Direction America is a nonprofit launched in December 2019 by Trump ally and former governor Chris Christie. It's a 501c4 and a so-called dark money social welfare organization, which doesn't have to disclose its donors, but can't participate primarily in political activity. Christie billed the group as a vehicle to drum up public support for Trump during his first impeachment trial in the Senate. You're not supposed to do that with a 501c4, but whatever. But that's not why the Gates campaign says it gave $100,000. A campaign spokesperson told the Daily Beast the organization supports former White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who two weeks prior to the Gates donation had announced her 2022 campaign for governor of Arkansas. Quote, we support the mission of Right Direction America. That's what the spokesperson said about the 100 grand. But there's no public record of RDA supporting Sanders for governor. There isn't even any activity of any kind since August 2020. That's according to the FEC. And RDA has received money from no political group other than the Gates campaign. It looks like this little fucking nonprofit was set up just to take that $100,000 from Matt Gates to Donald Trump. For someone who's so strongly backing Sanders that he would make, Sarah Huckabee, that he'd make a $100,000 donation, there's no record of any direct donations to the Sanders campaign from the Gates campaign, nor from the beleaguered congressman himself, unlike with DeSantis, right? The campaign did not reply, though, when presented with that information. 
So they're like, oh, we support Sarah Huckabee. Okay, well, why have you not made any donations to her directly? Oh, um, uh, no comment. Further complicating the Gates campaign's sole explanation that RDA supports Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the group's nonprofit status bars it from participating in political activity. The Gates spokesperson did not answer when asked if the campaign knew what else the group did. It's not a surprise that Gates would support Sanders for governor. But, I mean, to set up a nonprofit so you can be tax-exempt and to take one $100,000 donation from Matt Gates to a, to a nonprofit set up by the Trump campaign with no other monies being given to Sarah Huckabee Sanders. That's, um, that's, a, that's payola. That's a bag of cash. Isn't it? I mean, it has to be. It, it it has to be. I I can't think of it. As, it what else could it possibly be? I mean, it just makes no sense. And and by the way, when asked multiple times whether the Justice Department had notified Gates that he's no longer the subject of a federal investigation, two campaign spokespeople would not say. So that means he is right. One response promoted Gates's podcast. The Daily Beast also contacted criminal defense attorney Mark Furnich, who in June received $25,000 in legal fees from the Gates campaign and who has represented sex offender Jeffrey Epstein and drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. But we didn't get a reply from him either. Days prior to that $100,000 donation, Gates, a lawyer, offered to represent Trump in the impeachment trial. The three-term congressman whose phone was seized by federal agents in December told Fox News that given the ethics conflict, he would resign from Congress if the law required it to represent Trump. So didn't represent Trump, was under federal investigation at the time, offered to represent Trump for free, didn't get to do that, makes a $100,000 donation to a 501c4 that has done nothing other than accept that donation. Hmm. <laughs> what? Gates said at the time uh, when he was trying to represent Trump, I only regret that I have but one political career to give to my president. Wow. Wow, it becomes crystal clear, doesn't it? All right, everybody. Next up, more headlines and some sabotage. And then later in the show, I'll be talking to Scott Stedman of Forensic News about two GOP operatives that were just indicted for funneling Russian money into Republican coffers in 2016. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG. Actually, it's the host formerly known as AG. I'm Allison, and I found an amazing website you need to visit. It's called Nuts.com. It's the best-kept secret of savvy snackers nationwide. They have an amazing selection of high-quality, delicious snacks that's available to you, including bourbon pecans, white chocolate toffee cashews. The toffee makes all the difference in the world. Crystallized ginger uh, and honey sesame sticks. They just have so many snacks. Nuts.com isn't just for nut lovers. It's your one-step pantry shop online as well. And it's amazing how much variety they have at Nuts.com. They have candies, dried fruits, baking mixes, pasta, and more. 
Nuts.com is the easiest, most convenient way for me to always have nutritious, tasty, healthy snacks, dried fruits, flowers, nuts, grains, and also stock my pantry with all the things I need for baking. And it's all delivered directly to my door. They have over 4,000 products to choose from, including healthy, kid-friendly snacks, like dried strawberries, which are like my favorite, and custom trail mix, not just for kids. Plus all the raw, organic, roasted, salted, and candied nuts you can imagine. Even chocolate-dipped, gluten-free, and vegan options. Nuts.com is a family-run business that takes pride in getting you the freshest food fast. And it's amazing. The quality of these nuts it just absolutely blows my mind. It's fresher than the supermarket, and most orders ship the same day. New Nuts.com customers get free shipping on your first order when you text the word Muller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R, to 64000. So again, text the word Muller to 64000 to get free shipping on your first order from Nuts.com. That's Muller, don't forget the E, M-U-E-L-L-E-R to 64,000. Terms apply, available at nuts.com slash terms. Hey, everybody, welcome back. So early results in Russia's parliamentary elections showed a rise in opposition to Putin's governing party, though it was nevertheless expected to cruise easily to victory. Impartial results broadcast by Russian state television after three days of voting The party, United Russia, carried 44% of the vote, 10 percentage points less than in the previous election in 2016. In second place, the Communist Party received 22% compared to 13% in 2016. Russian elections are not free and fair, and Parliament's role in, in recent years has mainly been to rubber stamp the Kremlin's initiatives while providing a veneer of democratic legitimacy to Putin's rule. Over the weekend, videos of ballot stuffing and other apparent instances of fraud circulated widely on social media, but allies of the imprisoned opposition leader Alexei Navalny hoped to use the elections to deliver a rebuke of Putin by consolidating the opposition vote. The weekend's elections came amid a harsh crackdown on dissent by the Kremlin and murmurings of popular discontent. Apparently, fearing a rebuke at the ballot box, the authorities just barred all well-known opposition figures from running for parliament while forcing many dissidents into exile and declaring popular independent media outlets foreign agents (laughs) coming from the number one fucking foreign agent in the world that's rich the multi-day nature of the elections measures officially put in place to reduce the spread of the coronavirus increased the likelihood of fraud by making the process harder to monitor election observers and kremlin critics say and and given the system by which the 450 seats in the lower house of parliament the duma are apportioned. United Russia could still maintain its two-thirds majority, two-thirds majority in the chamber, despite getting less than half of the votes. Sound familiar? The opposition's uphill battle was complicated by decisions by Google and Apple to comply with Russia and their demands to block access to Navalny-related content that was supposed to coordinate the protest vote. Google. And Apple did that. After the two tech giants on Friday removed from their store smartphone app connected to Mr. Navalny's movement, they, he had an app, they took it off of there. Google over the weekend went further, apparently complying with a government request to block YouTube videos and Google Doc files that Mr. Navalny's allies were using to coordinate voting. Google did not respond for a request for comment. Mr. Navalny's allies, who were organizing the protest vote campaign, said they were notified by Google that their content could be blocked because of a government request. This content is not available on this country domain due to a legal complaint from the government. That's a YouTube message uh, that pops up when users in Russia try to open one of the blocked videos. 
Google's compliance with Russia's demands in recent days has represented a remarkable concession for a company that prides itself on enabling the exchange of information, open exchange of information, right? In Russia, Google's products, in particular YouTube, have helped provide avenues for free expression, even as the Kremlin has rolled back those freedoms. Specific threats of prosecution against some of Google's more than 100 employees inside Russia forced the company to take down the Navalny smartphone app. Russian courts in recent months have outlawed Navalny's movement as extremists and declared his smart voting campaign to be illegal. Nevertheless, Mr. Navalny's allies have been pushing the tactic they call smart voting to pool opposition votes and elect as many challengers to United Russia as possible, no matter the challengers' political views. They're trying to, you know, combine all the, you know, Communist Party, all the challengers against Putin's party. The campaign garnered support among opposition-minded voters, many of whom managed to find out which candidate the smart voting campaign supported in their district, despite Google and Apple's compliance with the Russian government. And during a meeting in Washington, D.C. in 2019, Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg agreed to not fact-check political posts of the Trump administration if they would promise to steer clear of any heavy-handed regulations. Venture capitalist Peter Thiel said that to an associate, and that's according to a new book. The associate uh, alleged that the meeting, which was also attended by Thiel, former President Trump, Jared Kushner, and their spouses, Zuckerberg essentially promised to champion state-sanctioned conservatism. Yeah. The book also delves into the early days of Thiel, who eventually founded PayPal and Palantir including his time in high school and at Stanford University, where he was disliked by pretty much everyone. In high school, the San Francisco native was targeted for his inscrutable and haughty personality. It's obvious in retrospect, quote, that uh, what we were doing was bullying, one classmate said. I've always thought he might have had a list of people he's going to kill somewhere and that I'm on it. This book is called The Contrarian, Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power. All right, are you guys ready for sabotage? Alan Weisselberg, former Trump Org CFO, who has been charged by Manhattan prosecutors for an alleged tax evasion scheme, is expecting that more indictments will be filed in the case after tax documents were found in an alleged co-conspirator's basement. That's according to Weisselberg's attorney in open court last Monday. Quote, we have strong reason to believe there could be other indictments coming. That is Brian Scarlatos. He said that at a pretrial hearing in New York State Supreme Court. Holding up a manila envelope with a bulge in it, Scarlatos said that the, the parties met in the judge's chambers before the court hearing. It was represented to us by the DA that this package includes documents found in a co-conspirator's basement that are tax documents. Weisselberg faces 15 state counts, including larceny, grand larceny, excuse me, which were unveiled by Cy Vance in July. The grand jury indictment alleged a 15-year tax evasion scheme. We've gone over it multiple times. The former president's namesake business was also charged in the indictment, but Donald Trump himself has not been charged. Monday's hearing was Weisselberg's first court appearance in the case since his arraignment this summer. His lawyer did not identify who else in Weisselberg's team expected to face an indictment. But prosecutors have been scrutinizing other top Trump org employees, including Matthew Calamari Sr., that's the company's chief operating officer, and his son, Matthew Calamari Jr., the Trump org's corporate director of security. The younger Calamari, 
just uh, the tender, the tender calamari testified before the grand jury earlier this month and received transactional immunity for the topics he testified about. That's in accordance with New York state law. We've gone over this. The decision to bring him before the grand jury signals prosecutors do not plan to indict him. Right? See? I told you. <laughs> I told you that's how that shit worked. Father and son have been under scrutiny by prosecutors over whether they properly paid taxes on subsidized rent and cars. We know. And on Monday, after the hearing, a lawyer for the Calamaris said, in, I can't get over the Calamaris, said in a statement, we remain in discussions with the district attorney's office relating to Calamari Sr. <laughs> Interesting. They believe there's no basis for indicting, he said. If they presently in need, intended to indict him, I would have been informed, and I haven't been. And in fact, I've been informed to the contrary. So apparently, Calamari Sr.'s lawyer has been told that Calamari Sr. is not going to be indicted. At Monday's short hearing, Scarlatos referenced the dispute between Manhattan DA and the Trump org lawyer, saying he's concerned that his client becomes collateral damage in a bigger fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Alan Weiselberg's just the, the collateral damage. Whatever. Scarlatos did not identify by name the co-conspirators he was referencing when discussing the tax documents in the basement. CNN reported one alleged co-conspirator in the investigation is Jeff McConney, the controller of the Trump Organization. We know McConney has testified at least twice before the grand jury. Of course, as you know, by New York law, he has received immunity for that testimony. He will not be indicted for those crimes. Solomon Scheinrock, a prosecutor with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office who has the coolest name in the world, responded to Weisselberg's attorney saying, Mr. Weisselberg is the boss. Mr. Weisselberg is also not an innocent party caught up in collateral damage. Preach at Solomon Scheinrock. The remainder of the hearing focused on scheduling, an attempt by the defense to get a longer schedule for motions. They didn't get it. Scarlettos argued that defense attorneys have been handed a large amount of documents, asking the judge, for an extended schedule for the motions. Scheinrock countered. Solomon Scheinrock said, Alan Weiselberg is no stranger to these documents. <laughs> the judge agreed. And there is a 120-day motion schedule to begin in January. But noted, quote, many of the documents came from the defendants themselves and that their claims of needing to go through millions of documents was misleading a little, as they're familiar with most of this shit. The next court date is set for July 12, 2022, with a trial date not expected until August or early September, right before the election. All right, we'll be back with Scott Stedman and the Fantasy Indictment League. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's Allison Gill, and this portion of the show is brought to you by Wild Alaskan Company. When you defrost seafood, the countdown for freshness begins. And who knows how long that fresh grocery store fish has been sitting out for. But Wild Alaskan Company freezes their fish right after it's caught so it's perfectly handled and delicious when you're ready to cook it. Wild Alaskan Company delivers high-quality, sustainably sourced, wild-caught seafood right to your door. Each shipment contains premium cuts of individually wrapped portions of delicious seafood that are ready to prepare and easy to cook, which is amazing for me since I'm paleo. You can choose from salmon, cod, halibut, and more. Or a combination. And every month, there are different specials to explore. Wild Alaskan Company seafood is how nature intended it to be. Always wild, never farmed or modified, and it contains no antibiotics. You can adjust, pause, or cancel your membership anytime, and they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back, no questions. 
Right now, you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash MSW. That's wildalaskan, A-L-A-S-K-A-N, company.com slash MSW for $15 off your first box. Again, wildalaskancompany.com slash MSW. Please use our URL to let them know we sent you. And we thank them for sponsoring the show. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the Fantasy Indictment League. I'm going to be indicted! No, wait, it's going to be a... Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey. I'm going to be indicted! Hold it, they can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted! And joining me today for the Fantasy Indictment League, first time we've had a guest join us for the Fantasy Indictment League, is uh, investigative journalist and founder of ForensicNews.net, Scott Stedman. Scott, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. This is an interesting week. I, I and I I imagine more interesting weeks to come as statutes of limitations start to run out on uh, 2016 campaign finance violations. Yeah, we're running up against that wall and I think we're going to see a few kind of loose ends tied up here pretty soon, hopefully. Yeah, I agree. And and the reason I'm, I have you on today is because on Monday, as we know, Department of Justice indicted two GOP operatives named Weed and Benton for straw donations. They dis- disguised the true source of a donation made in 2016 to Republicans. RNC, I think it ended up in, in a Trump pack, right? Uh, America first or something. And I wanted to just briefly have you go over the timeline, the crime line, if you will. <laughs> Yeah, so these guys, Weed and Benton, doesn't it sound like they should have a TV show? Like that name is just so perfect. <laughs> like buddy cops, Weed yeah. and Benton. And yeah. one guy's like Doug Weed, I think 75, and Benton's 43. Um, yeah, so Doug's getting too old for this shit. <laughs> exactly. Um, so they have a, um, they have multiple connections in, in Eastern Europe, um, but they know this one guy named Roman Vasilenko. And he um, he was a Russian naval veteran for like a decade in the 90s. And um, he was in charge of one of their financial services in their naval bases. Um, And then he studied for a little bit, became a businessman. And in 2016, he pops up and he wants a picture picture with Trump. Um, And if you look at the the emails that he's sending in the DOJ indictment, he says, you know, uh, Weed is relaying the message. He really wants this picture with Trump. And so, um, you know, Weed arranges a, uh, fundraiser, uh, that they can all attend. And he takes, you know, Vasilenko's monk money along with, uh, Benton and funnels it into the Trump pack, um, allowing them access to this, uh, event. And the Russian guy gets the picture and, um, you know, the Russian money ends up with, with the Trump pack. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is that my first thought was, ooh, I wonder if this originated with the Mueller investigation Mm. and was handed off in one of those, you know, Appendix D things. But that didn't make sense to me because this would be something within his purview. He, in fact, indicted Sam Patton, who did the exact same thing. And so then it becomes a question of when did this investigation start? Where was it born? Was it born out of another investigation, perhaps handed off by Mueller, like, say, 
Tom Barrick. I don't know. I'm, I'm just speculating. I'm just throwing names out there. But trying to figure out the the oranges uh, if you will, <laughs> of this particular investigation has really kind of got me a little bit flummoxed. Like, it seems like it's something that would have ultimately originally come out of the Mueller investigation. But if, if he had found this, I feel like he would have indicted this. I, I would even argue that this is more in his purview than the Patton stuff, because even Patton was dealing with Ukrainian oligarchs. Like, obviously, they're involved, but. This guy is, you know, like I, like I said, he's a, he's a naval veteran for the, you know, the Soviet army. And then he, you know, um, he hosts like a, a yearly awards for, for the military where all these high profile people in Russia come. And you wrote in your piece, these are pretty much all the red flags, no pun intended, of, of, a, of, a, of a Kremlin agent. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so for me, that's like directly in the, the Mueller purview. So um, one thing I wanted to point out is that in the indictment um, announcement piece, they, the last sentence they said was that the FBI in San Diego is investigating. And that was weird to me for a couple of reasons. One, present tense, like the indictments have already come down, um, but they are investigating. And then the San Diego connection, I haven't found yet. Like the companies that that Benton and Doug, uh, Doug Weed um, are involved in are either East Coast or I think uh, there's a couple in Texas. Um, so, you know, I think there are some indications that it was, you know, this investigation started maybe more recently. Um, you know, if they are still investigating and, and Mueller didn't find it, I don't know. I just, I find it weird that it is kind of happening now. I think the, the closest we came, and I live in Sandy. I'm I'm SoCal. I'm on the left coast, so I paid very close attention to anything that even came close to our area. And the closest thing I can remember is you remember the guy Pineda, who, yeah, who made the the fake identifications for the Russian nationals who came over and posed as campaign, uh, you know, re- Republican mm-hmm. campaign operatives. That's the, the trolls, closest yeah. we've gotten to to Southern California, and. I mean, it would be a stretch. We would be bending over to backwards to try to make any kind of a connection. And and again, I'm doing that. I'm 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 dotless and I am rarely dotless here. Yeah. So another thing that came to mind with San Diego particularly is port of entry. I don't know. A lot of things we see with, um, you know, FBI activity and major cities like San Diego is a major hub, right, for anyone that wants to import that's something that came to mind um but other than that like i'm i'm clueless as well as to why san diego specifically um but i do think like the present tense of fbi is investigating still um you know maybe there is more to come here and uh today jay seculo signed on to be uh doug weed's attorney so obviously, uh, you know, Trump's inner circle is, has seen this and is kind of at least tangentially, you know, you know, worried about what this might expose. Mm, yeah, although they seemingly didn't have a problem with Konstantin Kalimnik and Manafort and, and all. But, well, I guess they did. They fired him and tried to cover it up, to be fair. Yeah, they spun their way out of it. <laughs> but um, uh, talk a little bit about because there's a there's a little bit of a twist here, right? I think that the reason that the Trump camp is interested in this is that this one of these guys was pardoned by Trump for the same kind of shit. Yeah. So Jesse Benton, um, he basically ran the same scheme with different characters back in, I want to say it was 2012, I believe, when he was working on the the Ron Paul campaign. Um, so he basically funneled money to like a state senator to for him to switch his vote to Ron Paul. 
um, covertly. And uh, so Trump pardoned him for that offense because Rand Paul uh, lobbied the, the White House about this. And he was uh, Benton was one of the guys like in the list with Manafort and like that six page list that we got in December of 2020 of pardons. And, you know, lo and behold, uh, he did the exact same thing on a much larger scale with, uh, you know, a foreign Russian foreign national and to the Trump campaign. And, you know, we have this picture with the Russian guy with Trump and we know that Benton worked on uh, one of Trump's super PACs. And so we know that Trump knows that this happened, right? He met the Russian guy and he knows Benton. Um, I'd be surprised if it didn't come up in those pardon negotiations. And, you know, that, that opens the door to, um, you know, analyzing Trump's intent with why he actually wanted to pardon Benton. You know, was it actually because of the state senator case or, you know, yeah. did he think that this Russian thing was coming down the line? Yeah. And, you know, I would say, I mean, I haven't seen this pardon, but I'm assuming the reason they're able to bring charges is because the pardon was pretty narrow in scope and just pardoned him of this one particular crime. Because generally, yeah. what this it sounds like it wasn't a blanket pardon like what they did for uh, Flynn Manafort Stone, etc. Although Stone's is a little bit narrower than the others. But I think maybe because I was going to ask you, like, I have it written here. Why wasn't the Russian indicted? And then that together with your statement that San Diego FBI is investigating, I'm wondering if this Russian this Russian isn't tied to additional uh, FEC scams that would ha that would you know, we know that the statute of limitations clock doesn't start ticking until you stop crimeing in, in that particular scheme. So right. maybe he is still being investigated uh, for for maybe other donations to other entities or other criminal activity, because it seems to me like if this were it, that this Russian and, and the translator would have been indicted in this indictment as well. Right. I think there's you're really onto something there. Um, there have been like I didn't put this in the piece because it's kind of speculative, but there have been kind of Russian forum discussions about this guy's company called Life is Good. Um, the, the website's pretty ridiculous. It's like you pay pe people for life advice. Um, so there's been discussion about that being like a pyramid scheme. Um, so <laughs> I was going to say, do you want to so start one? Well, you and I could start one. Just, yeah, yeah. Life is terrible. Dollars per hour. Yeah. Life is terrible. <laughs> just email us. We'll tell you all the fucking ways. Life is terrible yeah. right now. It's simp super. Yeah. And you know what? Just 50 bucks. Yeah. And 50 <laughs> bucks an hour. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, yeah no, maybe no, these are some dots. A, maybe we have some dots now. Finally, we no, it's, it's a good point because like that company is incorporated in Belize and I think it changed from the UK to Cyprus at one point. So there's a lot of like weird financial activity with this guy. And the other point on why he's not indicted, I think, is because, you know, he's never going to come to the US again anyway <laughs> because he's in trouble. Yeah, that was kind of one of the lessons um, maybe, we learned from uh, the indictments uh, against Russians and at least Russian entities in in the Mueller investigation was that what we when yeah. we had Concord Management come in, hire American lawyers and then abuse our federal court system to try to get our sources and methods going back to World War II through discovery. And then when they did get some discovery, they they used they falsified those documents and used it to say we were able to hack the Mueller investigation. And so it seemed to be more of a more trouble than it was worth to indict these Russian nationals. So it may just be as simple as that. And I do think like that's a it's a um, I don't say like upcoming, but it's more of a prominent strategy that the Russians are using is like get things tangled in court and then try to spin 
every kind of deposition, every court document you can to feed that disinformation campaign, right? It's such, it's actually a good, like evil genius kind of strategy, right? Like you have to play by the court rules and like you can depose people and you can get, get certain documents. And that, you know, that's a tactic that they're using to kind of feed this kind of misinformation beast that, you know, we're dealing with now. Yeah, for real. Uh, any other, um, before I let you go, do you, do you think, you know, we talked about at the beginning of, of our discussion here that we are winding down the statute of limitations five years for these federal uh, campaign violations from 2016. Uh, it's coming now to the to code red, right? Because we are almost exactly yeah. five years out from the election. And uh, have you heard or do you think uh, that you may be having some stories coming out on ForensicNews.net about anything else that's in the works? Because it seems to me that this Department of Justice is really good at keeping its cards close to its vest. Yeah, I would agree with that characterization. I I think there's things like, um, you know, I don't have any sort of specific information on this, but I do think like the lying to to Congress... um, the Don Jr. lying to Congress is so blatant and the Eric Prince stuff. And we got those stories that they were like referred to the DOJ and then kind of petered out. Um, so I do think that could possibly rear its head again. Or maybe a reopening kind of... of the Stormy Daniels uh, individual one um, case in the Southern District of New York, which as you and I know, because we follow this so closely, the, you know, they, the judge was like, you need to, hey, Bill Barr in the Southern District, you need to indict or get off the pot. And yeah. they closed the case. And, and that doesn't mean that you can't reopen it, but we haven't heard again, nothing. We've heard nothing. Mm-hmm. And then I would say that the other kind of 2016 story that is yet to be fully told, and I'm pissed about it, is the, the Alpha Bank story. Like there's never an answer given to what that was. I think most of the explanations that Alpha gave are garbage and like very um easily disproven um and i think there's compelling evidence i want to do an article about this in a week or two but i think there's compelling evidence that the fbi shut that down way too quickly um the ig report says they shut it down february of uh, 2017 like pretty much right when the russia stuff was ramping up um and i think you know there's there's evidence now that they they kind of messed up that investigation i think things after that investigation relied on the FBI closing it and, you know, basically relying on their word. Right. Um, when I think there is evidence that they kind of bungled it in a way. Well, Durham would have you believe that there was nothing, uh, there was nothing there and that Sussman lied about it <laughs> to the FBI or at least he lied about, lied who, about who his for. client was. Which, which yeah, that that it really pisses me off. Yeah, which even and we know and we've talked about this successfully on the show. Even if they yeah. if you told him he was working for Hillary Clinton, there's nothing illegal about that. Um, exactly. One thing I I have a I have a request. I have a um sure a Dick Clark sort of dedication hotline request for you. <sighs> um, I would like to see a refreshed version, if you will, of Appendix D, the the 14 cases handed off to other mm. agencies in the Mueller report. Do you know of anyone or would you be willing to do a FOIA request to, you know, hit the refresh button on that? I'd like to see where the redaction yeah. bars are off and where the redaction bars are still on. I would really be interested. I haven't seen an updated Appendix D in a, in a while. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to figure out which agency to FOIA that would actually be responsive. But uh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Send me your ideas and I'll, I'll get that going. 
because we just, you know, I was just talking to Marcy Wheeler, and as it turns out, some of these, yeah. some of these uh, Rick Gates 302s have had the characterization of redactions change from for privacy reasons to because of open and ongoing matters. So, you know, in a, in a, oh. in a FOIA request, when they talk, you know, when you request documents, they can redact them for several different exemptions. And the previous exemption under bar for, for this particular 302, these Rick Gates 302s, was privacy. Hmm. And now it's been changed to B7A, which is for open and ongoing matters. What was the matters. subject matter on that? Do you remember? And, uh, no, because the rest of it was redacted. <laughs> Oh, shit. okay. But hmm. but she noted that the that the redaction reason had huh. changed, and so I was like, "That's fancy." So I'd be interested to see not only if any of the redaction bars have come off Appendix D, but if any of the reasons for redaction under FOIA requests have changed. Hmm. Let's get that going. Send me your ideas, and I want to want to send that off. That's a good idea. Yeah, because if something used to be for privacy, and now it's for open and ongoing, that's matters, a good catch by Marcy. That's a great. I mean, that's obviously purposeful, right? Like there, someone made that change for a reason. Yeah, she's she's uh, she's amazing. So thank you so mm -hmm. much. Uh, tell everyone where they can find you and support you and support the investigative journalism that you that you do. And, and because I think it's so important. Thank you. Um, just the website, forensicnews.net. And then our main funding sources on Patreon, kind of like you guys, patreon.com slash forensic news. And yeah, just share we're on social media everywhere um tell a friends all right let me know when you want to start a podcast we'll get you hooked up with msw media <laughs> <laughs> sounds good all right we'll talk soon thanks so much scott stedman and with that it is time to draft my team for this week which will stay pretty much the same i'm going to draft a random straw donor though since we're at the end of that statute of limitations for these 2016 campaign finance crimes i just talked to scott about so put a random straw donor on my chart. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to do superseding Weisselberg indictments. I'm going to do Calamari plea agreement. I'm going to do McConney plea agreement. I'm going to add Eric Trump this week. He seemed a little over the top whiny about subpoenas over this past weekend. And then I'm drafting Gates, though I think we're looking at an October, November timeframe. My timeframe used to be July, August, because that's when the Greenberg's sentencing hearing was. That's when Green, not the Greenbergs, but just the one Greenberg. But that's been pushed out now till November. But I'm going to draft Gates anyhow. Why not? I'm also going to add Pirazzolo. That's the cannabis executive that bought Gates a trip to the Bahamas in exchange for his marijuana legislation. They also shared women and drugs. Then I'm going to do the same old Rudy DeGenova Tonzig trio, though the special master is still going through those documents, but it's on a rolling basis. I think it's almost time. He's been banned from Fox for the last three months, as has his son, who looks like Trump's kid. I'm sorry. I feel like there was a wife swap happening, which is cool. You know, I'm all for it, but ugh, not not when not when uh, not when mobbed up criminals are doing it. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, I think it's almost time. But yeah, I, yeah, the writing's on the wall, right? And then I'm going to round out the team with a couple of rando Russian-backed Ukrainians in the Eastern District of New York and Southern District of New York investigations into election interference. And probably Derek Harvey. That's the Rudy aide that traveled to Ukraine with Kosh Patel, who was just subpoenaed this week for the, by the January 6th committee. Uh, and uh, Derek, Derek Harvey worked on that Hunter Biden laptop op, among other things, digging up dirt on Hunter Biden. Yeah, 
FARA violations, probably even 951 violations if he was acting under orders from Furtash. Nobody wants to testify against Furtash, though, I guarantee it. And there you have it. That is our show. Thank you so much to our patrons. Again, you make this show possible. And thank you to Scott Stedman and Forensic News for coming on. I will see you all tomorrow morning with Dana for the Daily Beans. And until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill, and this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is written and produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media. Sound design and engineering are by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joel Reeder at Moxie Design Studios. Muller She Wrote is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. Hi, I'm Harry Lickman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Feds favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond, plus sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. M-S-W Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content.
Subscribe now.